All right, it's good to see you guys tonight. I feel like we're really beginning to settle into a rhythm. I love when we get to this point in the semester and we start to kind of know who wants to be a part of the community. We keep inviting people in, obviously, but it's fun to begin to journey together and to really dive into what God has for us. So I just want to say that we're glad that you're here tonight. So no matter if you've been around for a bit and you've been here the first three weeks or maybe for five years, there's a couple of you, or maybe one of you, uh, you're, you're doing great. Um, or you're here for the very first time, we count it as an honor that you chose to come and spend your Tuesday night with us. So, yeah, if you're new, we've been praying that you'd come tonight, and we're so glad you're here. I pray that you feel welcome here, you feel loved, you feel like this is family. Uh, This place is a place where you can be yourself and encounter God. That's our prayer for you. So, if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to to meet you after service. So grab me, it'd be great to talk, and we can hang out. All right, before I came to college, I had a lot of competing priorities in my life. I played on the football team. I was a starting left guard. Okay, you might not believe that, but I was a guard. I was very slow, so I couldn't play running back or receiver or anything else. So I just played guard. If you're on the football team, you play guard. I don't think anyone does in here. Um, It's okay. I was there too. Um, I also sang in the choir. I was involved in church, and I took my academics very seriously, and not to mention that my social life was a high priority for me. I cared so much about all these things, and I wanted to be the very best. I'm an achiever at heart. Have you taken the strengths finders before, the strength finder test? Okay, like two of, or two of you have taken it. But it tells you what your strengths are. My top strength is achiever, okay? So I love to be the best at everything. And if you have a lot of different priorities, you're trying to be the best at all of them, that can cause you a little bit of anxiety, right? If you're trying to balance all these things, you're trying to be the best, it can cause you uh, to worry a little bit. So for me, academics was always my highest priority. It was such a priority for me that if my family came into my room when I was doing homework, I was an angry, angry boy. I was doing my homework back off. I need to get a straight A on all these classes, all right? I was a jerk, to be honest with you. And then during football season, football was my second highest priority. If I didn't play well in the game or my coach criticized me in the film room, it ruined my whole week because I found my identity and being a good football player. And then during show choir season, which is like a few of us here, probably mostly ladies, there might be a few guys. Come on, let's go. So I always wanted to be in the front row so much uh, so that I would smile really cheesy-like because I thought that'd get me in the front row like this the whole time. That just scares people. That doesn't do anything. But uh, I wasn't a very good dancer, though, so I'd always get put in the back row, and, and that would crush me, all right? So I share this to say that I had a lot of different priorities, and the way down at the bottom of my priorities was my relationship with Jesus. So when I was particularly inspired, I would open the Bible, and I would try to read it, and I didn't know what to do, so I would just copy everything down on a sheet of paper, because I'm like, I should probably be taking notes, but I don't know what to write down, so I just write down everything I could think of, or everything I read, pretty much. Um, But I could never seem to read it for more than a day or two at a time before I I slipped out of reading it, and fell back into my old uh, routines and habits, and At times, I would even get so overwhelmed with guilt that I would confess my sins to a pastor or share my heart, and I would make bold statements about how I wanted to follow Jesus. But typically, I kind of allowed sin to have its way in my life, and I just did religious activity without actually following Jesus. Anybody been there? It's all right. It's okay. We're in progress, right? That was me in high school. I was in church every Sunday, but... but, Uh, When I came, it didn't feel like something natural that's an overflow from the rest of my week. Instead, it felt like I was coming to talk to an old friend who I 
had ignored all week. I, I pretty much let them unread all week. Some of you got a lot of texts that are unread. Chloe, I'm looking at you. Did got like 200. You need to open those text messages. But I got text messages from Jesus, and I didn't open them until Sunday. You been there? All right. Maybe that's tonight for you. You're opening your text message from Jesus. As a young college student, I'm sure you can relate with me. There are so many things that fight for our attention and our affections, academics, jobs, relationships, resume building, and hobbies. How can we keep all of these things straight? How can we get good grades, keep a steady job, and, and pay our bills, and, and cultivate relationships, and find a hot boyfriend? And some ladies in here are like, hallelujah. Build our resume. And on top of all this, how in the world are we going to get our 10 hours of video games that are required to be happy every day? And some of you guys in here are like, oh, that's me. Like me, if I didn't get to play Madden every night in high school, I got angry. It's like I didn't get my 40 minutes of Madden. My whole day stunk. That was me. <laughs> and, and let alone, not only trying to keep all these things straight, but how can we possibly follow Jesus when we have all these other things that we're trying to focus on? Because Jesus makes some big demands upon people who come to follow him in the Gospels. He says, you have to leave your old life and follow me. I have to become your first priority. How in the world as a college student in the 21st century are you going to do well at all these things and then still put Jesus first? Over the last four weeks, we've been in this series called Revival. And we've been talking about this idea that God wants to awaken our hearts to his love. He wants us to become devoted to him. He wants to revive us on the inside so we can make a noise for the kingdom in this world. And so our lives can be transformed and so we can bring his love to our friends. We talked about in the first week, if you were uh, with us or you missed it, uh, just a refresher, we talked about how the Father in heaven wants relationship with us. That was the first week. Second week, we talked about how we need community if we're going to go on this journey. So if you haven't uh, jumped into small groups yet, I encourage you to do that. And then last week, we talked about how revival... It's something God has to do in our hearts. We can't manufacture it. Instead, we have to come humbly before him and say, God, do a work in my heart. And when we do, he's faithful to come and breathe, or breathe new life on our heart. But we have to come to him and ask him to do it. And tonight we're going to end our series by talking about how if we want to walk in this revival life, then we have to make the decision Every single day, not driven by emotion, not driven by uh, feeling good that day, but a decision, no matter what, to put Jesus first. For all of church history, believers have, have gotten baptized in water to signal that they are following Jesus. When you get baptized in water, it's a public declaration that you're with Jesus. And, and in the first century, when the disciples first started doing this, this was a big deal because the culture... And the world at large was against them. They were killing them for being Christians. And when they got baptized in water, they were saying, I'm all in with this Jesus. Baptism is symbolic for Jesus' death and resurrection. When we go under the water, we die with Christ. And when we come up, it's like we're walking in the newness of life. It's saying, hey, we're not going back to our old ways, but instead we're following Jesus. Tonight, we're not going to baptize people. There's no pool here. But I'm praying that God would do in our hearts what baptism symbolizes that he would cause us to go under the water spiritually speaking and to leave our old lives and to come up and to walk in the newness of life and if god does that in your heart i just want to encourage you to get baptized at fall retreat we're going to baptize some people so start thinking about that now but it's a little plug for that but 
That's what I want to happen in our hearts tonight, spiritually speaking. All right, so the last sermon is called, it's called Life for Jesus. Okay, so true revival of heart will result in people giving their whole lives to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. As I shared last week, Matthew is one of the four Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus' life and ministry. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is the first Gospel in the New Testament. It's the very first book in the New Testament. If you need to turn to the table of contents, that's okay. Matthew 6, uh, particularly, is a part of Jesus' popular sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And, And the Sermon on the Mount is a highly practical sermon where Jesus talks about how his disciples can live out the kingdom uh, within the everyday world, how they can actually practically live in God's kingdom here and now on the earth. And the Sermon on the Mount is really an instruction guide on how to live out the kingdom. And in chapter 6, he urges his disciples to trust in him and to not pile up treasures on earth. And then right after this, he gets into verse 25, which is what I want to read tonight. I think this will really revolutionize our hearts and our faith tonight. So it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will put on. Is not life, or is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Picture Jesus saying that to you tonight. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, which are just the non-Jewish people. Okay, Jesus was a Jew, so Gentiles were non-Jewish people, people who weren't a part of the kingdom of God yet. I'm a Gentile, but by Christ's death and resurrection, I now get to be a part of God's family. I think most of us are probably Gentiles in here. Okay, so anyways, for Gentiles, seek after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, this is the kicker. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this tonight. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think these words are so relevant. I'm excited to jump into it, but first let's pray. Father, we pray tonight that you would just... Uh, Show us your provision. God, I pray that you would show us that you care about our lives, that you see all the things we're concerned about, and you understand. But at the same time, God, you call us into something better. You call us to leave the worries and concerns of the world and to follow you and to put you first. So, Jesus, I pray tonight that you would help us to be like these disciples were and to leave everything and to follow you with our whole hearts. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first point is this, and this is going to rock your world. There are so many things to be concerned about. You're like, thank you. That's revolutionary. Jesus is completely aware that there are so many things 
to be concerned about as human beings. I mean, we have to figure out what we're going to eat. For some of you, that's just like walking down to the piazza. For me, I actually have to cook my food. Just saying. I don't cook it, actually. My wife does. Uh, or what we're going to drink. So you're going to go buy some bubblies. Hallelujah. I know there's like four of us that like them. Our body. Like some of you working out every day, right? And our clothes. You know, I got a, a pretty cool shirt. It's plain color shirt. That's what I wear. And so forth. Okay, so the point is Jesus gives that we have some stuff to worry about. In verse 25, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you'll drink or your body or what you'll put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus knows this because he was a human. Like he was a real person. He lived the same life that each of us lived. He had real needs, real desires, real concerns, just like we did. I wonder if Jesus ever sat in his class and wondered if that girl was checking him out. I'm just saying. No, he didn't do that. It's all right. Just being funny. I wonder if you ever wondered if he looked fat in his clothes. Okay, nobody laughed at that one. I tried. I never write my jokes. One time I tried to, it didn't work. All right. So I wonder if he wondered about or thought about all the things that he had to do that week. I'm sure he did. He was a human being. He, he thought similar thoughts to us. While Jesus is fully God, he's also fully human and has lived the human life. So he knows that all of us here tonight have plenty to be concerned about, and he can sympathize with us. So Hebrews chapter 4 says, we do not have a high priest. I'm not going to explain what that is, but Jesus is our high priest, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, and yet was without sin. So tonight, let me ask you, what are the things that you're most concerned about? Is it your appearance? Is it your finances? Your school? Is it finding a spouse? Tonight, I believe that Jesus wants to encourage you and say, I know what you're going through. I know that you have concerns. And tonight, he just wants you to know, starting out, that he can sympathize with you. As much as Jesus can sympathize with our concerns and knows that there's a ton to worry about, like especially when you throw fantasy football into the mix, that makes things really complicated, okay? He also wants to make sure that we don't get overly concerned about the wrong things. Okay, so I want to read Matthew, the verses of, of 26 to 32 again. He says, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, or sow nor reap, and they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? And let's skip down to verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, um, or will he not uh, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. So second thing tonight is earthly things should not be our primary concern. Okay, so Jesus knows that you've got a lot to worry about. You've got to get that starting lineup ready to go. You've got flag football in the intramural team. I talked to one guy about his team before uh, the sermon, so that's why I'm thinking about it. But he, he urges us not to make these things our primary concern. We should not be consumed with what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear or where we're going to sleep. He doesn't tell us to be irresponsible or to not take care of these things. Instead, he's asking us to trust that God knows that we need these things and to not allow these things to consume our lives. Just as God feeds the birds and makes the lilies beautiful, he can feed and clothe you. Okay, verse 32, for the Gentiles 
seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And another thing we have to realize is that Jesus is saying this to a crowd of people who did not live in our context. They lived in a place where they didn't know what they were going to get to eat. Like, they were way more poor than we are, for the most part. There might be some of us who can relate with that, but for the most part, you're in college here at UNI, you can't relate with these people. Like, they had shortage of food, there's famines, and they really had to wonder, am I going to get to eat tonight? And Jesus says, despite this reality, do not worry about these things. Your Father will feed you. I remember when Emily and I felt called to, or to get married, both of our parents were broke, and they could not afford a wedding. Plus, we were, you know, 20 years old, so there's that. But, and to top it all off, God was calling us to move to Minneapolis to pursue ministry training. But the thing we knew in our hearts is that God wanted us to get married. Uh, so we started just planning a wedding that we couldn't afford and trusted that God would provide. And without even knowing the details of our situation, Emily's uncle called us and said he felt, or he felt led to give us $3,000 towards our wedding. He didn't know our parents were broke. He might have known that Emily's parents were because that's his sister, right, Emily's mom. But for my parents, he had no idea. But he just felt led to give us $3,000. I share that to say this. We obeyed God without worrying about the details, and he took care of our earthly concerns. I think tonight God wants us to realize that he loves us uh, so very much, and so much so that we don't have to worry about these earthly things. He knows what we need. Yes, we should be responsible, and we'd be fools if we weren't, as God is an advocate of being wise. But the things of this world should not be our primary concern. Jesus calls us to be cautiously carefree about the things of this world. Tonight, I think Jesus is saying to us to not let our academics, sports, the future, or any worldly thing be our primary concern. So if we shouldn't be concerned with the things of the world then what is Jesus asking us to be concerned about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Matthew 6, says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the third thing, the great concern of our lives should be Jesus and his kingdom. To our concern with earthly things, Jesus says, trust God. He's got you. Seek him first. And by seek first, Jesus is not saying, hey, seek him first and then seek a bunch of other things. No, he's saying seek him. He needs to be your most important thing and let God worry about the other things. There should not be competing aims in your life. Jesus and his kingdom should be your main aim. He's saying make me the all-consuming passion of your life. Instead of being consumed with the things of this world, Jesus calls us to let the controlling driver of our hearts to be his kingdom. Don't worry about the other things, he says. Just worry about pleasing me. Okay, so Oswald Chambers, this old dead guy who wrote a great book called My Utmost for His Highest, he said this about this passage. He says, when we look at these words of Jesus, we immediately find them to be the most revolutionary words that the human ears have heard. Seek first the kingdom of God. Even the most spiritual among us can argue the exact opposite, saying, hey, but I must live. I must make a certain amount of money. I must be clothed. I must be fed. And the great concerns of our life is not the kingdom, but how we're going to take care of ourselves. Jesus reversed the order by telling us to get the right relationship with God first and to maintain it as our primary concern and to never place our concern on taking care of the other things of life. 
So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? So I want to talk about both of these things in turn for just a moment. So to seek the kingdom of God first, it means to seek God's will. Because the kingdom points to God's rule and reign, okay? So when we seek the kingdom of God, we're saying our primary concern is submitting to him and living in his rule and his kingdom. So in God's kingdom, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so these two things should be our primary focus as we seek the kingdom, loving God and loving his people, loving people on the earth. But then there's a third thing. In Matthew chapter 28, it's called the Great Commission. Jesus gives us a mission, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so these things should be our concern, loving God, loving people, and making disciples, teaching people how to follow Jesus. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. So I want to tell you tonight that Jesus is asking you to make these things your priority. He's asking you to put everything else underneath these priorities, to take school, sports, music, academics, all this stuff, and put it underneath that. Even that boy you like, put it underneath that. Seek these things first, and everything else uh, should be an overflow. It should be something that, that Jesus takes care of for you. But second, he says, seek my righteousness. Okay, he says, seek my righteousness. He doesn't say, seek your own righteousness. He's not saying to you tonight, hey, be perfect. He's not saying, hey, try to be righteous on your own. He's saying, go to the cross and look what I did for you, where I made it possible for you to be right with me. Because the cross is what made it possible for us to be right with God, for us to be righteous. So God is calling us to put all of our trust, all of our hope in what Jesus did. So if you came in here tonight and you're feeling shame, or guilt for your sin, I want to say welcome to the club, because all of us sin. And tonight, God wants you to put all your hope in his righteousness, not your own. The word says that our righteousness is like filthy deeds to God, like filthy rags. Filthy rags to God, because it doesn't compare to him. He's so holy, he's so other, he's so much better than us, that even if we try, we're not going to come even close. So we have to put all of our chips in the basket of Jesus Christ and him on the cross. So tonight, seek that righteousness. Seek Jesus. And as his heart gets into your heart, as you meditate on the cross and what Jesus did for you and for me, that'll help you to be the person that God has called you to be. All right. So tonight, I just want to ask you, how are you doing with loving God? Do you love the things he loves and, res and resist the things he hates? Are you spending time with him every day? I also want to ask you, how are you doing with loving people? Are you loving people or are you fighting with people? If someone cuts you off in traffic, you're like, you're going to hell. Don't say that. That's not nice. And that's just not Jesus-like, right? No, love people, right? Be gentle. Be caring. Turn the other cheek. Serve people. And how are you doing with making disciples? If you're a Christian, which all of us probably aren't in here, and that's totally good. We want to have non-Christians come. But if you're a Christian, God calls you to make disciples. It's not like you get to wait and say, oh, I'll do that later. No, God calls you right here, right now to make disciples on the campus of you and I and Hawkeye Community College. He calls you into that. And making disciples means teaching people to follow Jesus. So how are you doing with that? I think if you can say, hey, I'm doing these things, then I think this passage will be true for you, that you're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Okay, there's one more thing I want to uh, share here quick. So the beautiful thing is when we make the things of the kingdom our priorities, God does take care of the rest. Okay, so verse 33 again. 
says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Okay, so fourth and final point is when we make Jesus our primary concern, he takes care of the other things. Jesus says that the things that other people worry about are things that are just going to be added to you if you seek the kingdom first. Revival in our hearts that cause us to put the kingdom first actually causes revival in all the other areas of our lives, not just spiritually speaking. As we put the, kingdoms, as we put the kingdom first, our academics will go better because you're going to want to honor your professor. You're going to want to do a good job. And it's not going to be something that consumes you and stresses you out. Instead, you're just going to be doing it for the glory of God. Our friendships will be healthier as we'll be quick to forgive people instead of holding grudges. Our bodies will be healthier because you shouldn't be a glutton, right? If you're in the kingdom, if you're seeking his kingdom, you don't go to McDonald's every day. I'm repenting. All right, no more McDonald's. I'm just kidding. You can go to McDonald's, but just like once a week. That's it. <laughs> but you should be healthier, right? Because you take care of your body. You exercise. You want to take care of the temple that God has given you. As you seek first the kingdom, your finances will be better. Because as you trust God with your finances, he blesses the rest. As you give, he blesses the rest. That's what I've seen in my life. As I give my finances to the church and to his kingdom, I see God bless the rest of it. God's way is perfect. He knows the best way to live. And as we seek his kingdom first, as we seek to be his son or his daughter, he's going to take care of the rest. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel often disobeyed God and his commandments, like all the time, okay? They're always disobeying. Like some of you are like, yeah, that's me. It's all right. I'm just playing with you. But the prophet Isaiah, he laments the pain that their, that their disobedience had caused them. And he wishes, he just like laments, he says, I wish we would have just obeyed God because everything else would have worked out. In chapter 48, it says this. It says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit and who leads you in the way that you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. And their name would never be cut off or destroyed from, the, or from before me. I read these verses in my quiet time the other day, and they just pierced my heart. God was pleading with the people of Israel. He's just saying, if you would just listen to me. I made you. I created you. I know how it's supposed to work. If you would listen to me, I would take care of you. And your peace would be like a river. I would lead you into the way that you should go. And not only that, but you would have a huge inheritance of people and offspring. Putting Jesus first enriches every other area of our lives. He needs to be our primary concern, and we need to let him take care of the rest. Back when Emily, or back when Emily and I were in school, we were very lame. Okay, I'm just going to confess that. The only things we did were Chi Alpha and trying to get good grades. That's all we did. And, and we hung out together way too much. We'll talk about that during the dating series, okay? Way too much. But uh, Emily was an accounting major, okay? And I remember she was always so worried about her resume. She's like, I'm not building my resume. I'm just going to Chi Alpha. That's not very good for trying to get a job. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. But, hey, we're going after this thing. At the end of her freshman year, she applied for this full-ride scholarship. It covered tuition, room and board, everything, and even gave you extra money, I think, for your books and stuff. But it was incredible. And she applied for it, and we thought she has no chance because she don't have all those things on her resume, right? Well, 
God took care of her and she got the scholarship. Well, one, that's just because she's smart. But two, I really believe that God blessed her for putting the kingdom first. I'm not promising you that school is going to get paid for, but I am going to promise you. If you put Jesus first, he'll take care of the rest. It says it right here. We can take it to the bank. It says it in scripture. Jesus said it. And he said it to people who didn't know if they were going to get to eat. Okay, so if he said it to them, I think he can say it to us, people who live in America. I think it can be true for us. I pray that you would put Jesus first in college. Put him first during this time. If you do, I believe your college experience will be the best it can be. Don't let academics, don't let ungodly relationships or having a good time or playing way too many video games or anything else take priority over Jesus. Get good grades. Look for a spouse. Have fun with your friends. Have hobbies. Throw a Frisbee. I don't care what you do. But don't let the good things come over Jesus. Don't let these things come over Jesus. If you put things over Jesus, it's only going to steal from you. It's going to take from you. It's not going to give you anything. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. It's a very popular verse. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. The main idea tonight is this. The last one of the series is revival is unleashed when we put Jesus first. Tonight is the culmination of four weeks of going after revival in our own hearts and, and for our campus. And, and some of you came in here for the first time over the last four weeks. You're a freshman or transfer student or maybe you just you know, stumbled upon Chi Alpha and, and this is pretty new to you. And during these first four weeks, at, at some point, you decided to follow Jesus for the first time or, or maybe you recommitted your life to him. But the point is God's been moving in your heart. And that's where revival begins, when God begins to move in your heart in a supernatural way. And when your hearts get captivated uh, with his love. But tonight, I think God is asking you to take another step. To not just to or decide to follow him and to receive his love and forgiveness, but to respond to his love. And to say, I'm giving my whole heart to you, Jesus. I'm going all in with this. I think about four years ago, John Griffin on the drones back here, he's an intern with us. He came into Kyle for just like you, a freshman, and did not want to be here. He sat in the back. I have a picture of it, all by himself, sitting in the back. And God grabbed his heart at some point, and he said, this is my life now. He told me that. He said, this is my life now. And he literally has not looked back. He now works for us. He's giving his whole life to, or to try to help college students find Jesus and love him. I'm not saying that's going to be your story. As some of you, I don't think all of you are going into ministry. But I think God wants to do a similar thing in your life. This kid left a legacy on this campus because he put Jesus first. And God's been taking care of the rest for four years now, going on five. I believe he can do the same thing for you. But it starts with you making a decision. Maybe you're sitting by yourself in the back tonight. Can't even see you, maybe. And tonight you have just seen to say, okay, this is my life now. I'm making a decision. This is it. Jesus wants your academics, your finances, your extracurricular activities, your hobbies, your jobs, your relationships, your family, and every single thing that fights for your attention to come under him tonight. And the cool thing about Jesus is he won't stop until he has your whole heart. So if you resist him, he'll just keep coming after you because he is so jealous for your love. He wants your whole heart. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want to just be a piece of the pie chart of your life. He wants your whole heart. He wants to be the whole thing. He wants your life to be his. He 
he loves you so much that he's not going to stop pursuing you. And I just pray tonight that, that you'd respond to him and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm giving all myself back to you. You know, Jesus gave all of himself to us on the cross. And he calls us to respond by giving all of ourselves to him, by giving our lives to him and doing what he says. I pray that you would uh, submit to that tonight. But if you came in here tonight and you've never experienced the love and grace of Jesus, I pray that you would encounter that. Before any of, of that, although I want you to do that, you know, put Jesus first, I just pray that you would experience his forgiveness tonight. I pray that you would know that Jesus came into the sinful world and he lived a perfect life. He, he never sinned once. He was a perfect human being. And not only that, then he went and died on a cross to pay for our debt because our sin demands a price to be paid because God is holy and just. And a good judge, or a good judge makes criminals go and live out their sentence, right? And for us, our sentence is death if we've committed sin, which is all of us. But Jesus goes to the cross and he pays that debt completely. So it's like the judge comes off the footstool and says, okay, I'll go to prison for that person. That's what Jesus did for us. He gave his life completely for us on the cross. And not only that, he then went into the grave and then he came out of it three days later and said, hey, death does not have the final word no more. Tonight, I pray that if you've never experienced the love of Jesus, that his love would get inside of you tonight and that you would put your trust in him and say, Jesus, I'm not trusting in my own filthy rags. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in what you did for me. I pray that tonight that all of us would go all in with Jesus. God's heart for us tonight is to know that he is trustworthy and that we can seek him and his kingdom first and he'll take care of the rest. There's no need to obsess over our, our lives. God will take care of that. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to close. I have two questions for you tonight, just like every week. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you came in here tonight, and if you're really honest with yourself, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Either you once did and you've walked away, or you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. In Romans chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So that's all you got to do. You just got to trust in what Jesus did. And if you do that, the word tells us that the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of us. God will make us a new person. So the way I want to do this tonight, we're not going to actually confess with our mouth, but if you want to be saved, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand between you and God, just signaling, saying, hey, I'm in with you, Jesus. I want to follow you. Okay, so one, two, three. Put up your hands all across the screen. Tons of hands, Lord. Tons of hands. Praise the Lord. I put your hands down. I'm just going to pray for you quick, and then pray in your heart. Something simple. You can just say, Jesus, I trust you. That's all it's got to be. It doesn't have to be some uh, magic formula or some fancy prayer. Just say, Jesus, I trust you. I put my faith in you. So, Jesus, tonight we confess that you're Lord. And we believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead. And tonight we're just putting our trust in you, God. We're just putting everything into you. We're saying, Jesus, we want you to be our Savior. And, God, we want relationship with you. So, tonight we're just putting our trust in you. In Jesus' name. All right, the second thing is if you're here tonight, you're following Jesus, but you want to make a commitment to put him first while you're in college. If you want to make a commitment to let revival be unleashed in your life by putting him first every single day, I want you to put both hands up to heaven right now because we're going to worship in just a second. And we're going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to go into some worship. So Jesus, tonight we just ask you 
to move in our hearts. God, we ask you to unleash revival in our lives, God, and help us to put you first in every single area. God, I pray that you would come over everything that fights for our attention and fights for our affection. I pray that as we do this, as we love you and love people and make disciples, I pray that this campus would be changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.